I feel excited to preach the Bible this morning, man. I got something stirring in my spirit, and we are in the book of Acts, chapter 7, and I'm continuing a series called Great Expectations. Um, I'm highlighting things that we're grateful for. Pastor David kicked the series off by highlighting the gratitude we have for the different seasons of life. And I spent last week talking about being grateful for adversity. It was appropriate. It came in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, But God does use adversity to grow you. And here we've got Stephen, who just before he was stoned, um, he was addressing the Pharisees. I want to read just one verse, Acts 7 and verse 9. Stephen's recounting their history, and he said, The patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but... God was with him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for the scriptures. I pray, Lord, for ears to hear, eyes to see. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us a heart that's hungry and on fire for you. Lord, I thank you that you're going to penetrate people's hearts and minds today. And we teach this word clearly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, I was thinking back about the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, most of my Christmases have been spent in the state of Montana with my family, but on occasion I have been out of state. And I remember one year when I was uh, living in Dallas, and you know I had a window of time for me to go see my cousins who lived up just north of St. Louis. It was like a 10, 11 hour trip, and I had been working night shifts, so I worked the night shift. I drove all day. I made it up there. I ended up being up for like 53 hours. I mean, that's just the stuff that you do when you're young and dumb. And uh, I made a big effort to chance to drive with my family because, man, I I'm, was glad to spend time with them. I was grateful to take that chance to drive across the country and uh, be up there. But over the holidays, that's what we do. We celebrate Jesus' birth, and we often celebrate it by being with our loved ones. Now, this morning, what I want to highlight for you is how you can find contentment in your clan. Uh, contentment, I've discovered is a form of gratitude. And I am grateful and thankful for my family, uh, all of them, even the annoying ones. Uh, But I do appreciate the ancestry I have. I cherish my children. And believe it or not, you can find contentment in your clan. You can find it in your family. I think a great way to kick this off is with the very ominous verse that we just read. It simply says here in verse 9, that the patriarchs, that's the fathers, in this case it's the brothers of Joseph, becoming envious, sold that poor man into slavery in Egypt. Think about that. His brothers sold him. I guess if we're going to highlight your family, one of the first things we could tell you is that family can be a source of disappointment. Mm -hmm. Family can be a source of pain. I think this is what separates the Bible from every other religious book that's written. Because the Bible's not afraid to take the characters that it's written about, like the patriarchs, the fathers, and paint them in a not-so-flattering light. I mean, these guys went and sold their little brother into slavery. They sold him into Egypt. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I had two sisters. I thought about doing stuff like that, but I actually never did it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it, it's really incredible to think about. There they are, 
And they decide at one moment that there's some Midians coming by and they can just sell their brother into slavery. You know, sibling rivalries are nothing new. They go all the way back to the very first family in the Bible. Between Cain and Abel, one brother killed the other brother. Jacob, who was the father of these patriarchs, these rascal hooligan children that sold one of their brothers, he understood what civil ri- sibling rivalry was like when you know, he had a conflict with his brother Esau. Remember, he, sold, he stole the birthright from him. I mean, I mean, these things were taking place. And I've discovered that your family can be some of the greatest source of pain in your life, and it can also be some of the greatest source of joy that takes place. I mean, you can experience both ends of the emotional pendulum. And, you know, there's, as I was processing this, I think there's a number of reasons why sometimes things happen like this. And in this case, one of the reasons is very obvious. It says that they became envious. His brothers becoming envious, they sold him. I mean, it tells you right there that they were jealous of him. They were jealous of his dreams. They were jealous of his favored status with the father. I mean, his father had given Joseph a coat of many colors. And these guys were, you know, desired that. They they were frustrated by that favored status that he had. Uh, Jealousy is one of those things that probably everybody deals with, but not many people talk about. When you get jealous or when you're envious of something, what you're probably doing is comparing yourself with other people. And sometimes that's a trap I've fallen into that never ends up in a good place emotionally. I mean, you can find out all the amazing things that other people may possess in their skill sets, in their gifting and their calling, and might feel inferior or inadequate. And, and what you have to do is just, just be okay with who God has called you to be. Because a lot of times people will start getting jealous or frustrated, and what's pushing people is envy. That's what happened to their brothers. You know, sometimes uh, family can be a source of disappointment because of what I would just simply call childhood wounds. And when you make a statement like that, you get a lot of people that scoff at it, and they think you just need to get over it. But I've watched as 70-year-old people are still triggered by memories or words, and they're making decisions that are driving them and never know why, because there's some kind of wound or pain that took place earlier in life that they haven't dealt with. It's a disappointment that can push people direction. You know, one of the greatest ways that people find disappointment and it manifests is when they get offended. And an offense is something that you don't want to talk about. You want to address it. it you're holding a grudge. And eventually, when an offense grows so much in a person's heart, this is the place where they could actually isolate themselves from people. And this is something that's just very unique in Western culture particularly. I mean, we've got a PC culture where people are looking for every chance and opportunity they have to be offended at something. And it's like, that's the days that we live in. Jesus warned about that. We've got offenses in the times that we live in. That's part of the breakdown and frustration that people experience in family. But perhaps the greatest source of disappointment in family relationship is because of unrealistic expectations. This is like what happened when you got married. (laughs) <laughs> I remember Pastor David saying a few weeks ago, his wife was saying, hey, when do the bells and the whistles come on in marriage? <laughs> One time we had a lady call us and she was struggling. And, and so, you know, she wanted to talk to the pastor. She'd just gotten married a few months earlier. And I was trying to give her, you know, the pep talk. Are you praying? Are you in the word of God? Are you going to church? 
And Elizabeth was like, give me the phone. <laughs> she got the phone. She was like, I know it's not what you thought, is it, sweetie? Marriage isn't what you thought. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Unrealistic expectations. Children are like that. You want, you know what? This because there's no perfect people. People are going to disappoint you. You know, I, I got kids I love, man. And we just had parent-teacher conferences. I got the report card a few weeks ago. And my kids usually get twos and threes, which means that they're excelling or, or doing good. But Titus ended up getting some ones, which means he needed improvement. And I, I mean, I was like, ones? I mean, we can't, we can't have ones. So, you know, we go over there and I, I, we had, she, it was actually much better than we thought. She was very, you know, praising our kids. They're good kids. They're nice kids. So I want to know. What about these ones on the report card? And she's like, oh, well, you know, let me look that up because we do testing in systems now. And, and what the system revealed is that my son's problem is that he gets easily distracted and he doesn't pay attention to details, which is like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> like, I, I was like, that's, that's pretty much me to a T. <laughs> so, you know, listen, man, he's going to get Legos for Christmas. All right, we're going <laughs> to, he's going to be focusing <laughs> Man, sometimes you get unrealistic expectations, and, and it's like, man, if you let them, they can be a great source of disappointment. I am grateful for my family, even though there's been pain, even though there's questions, problems, frustrations, even though they might have let me down, they might have let you down. I am grateful for my family, because it brings me to the rest of the verse. I mean, this is one thing I love about the Bible. It tells you your family might be crazy, might have some problems. Might try to sell you. But like what it says in verse 9, even though they tried to sell Joseph, God was with him. But God was with him. And not just that, he delivered him out of all his troubles. Remember, he was in Potiphar's house and he was in the prison. He gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He rose to prominence. He was made the governor of Egypt and over all his house. And then it tells us that by the hand of providence, a famine and great trouble came upon all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, watch what he did. He sent out the fathers, the patriarchs, first. And it says that the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Now, it is true. Your family can be a great source of disappointment. But... I thank God, because God is able to restore broken relationships. Man, this is the message of the Bible. This is a common thread in Scripture. This is one of the reoccurring themes of redemption and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. And I love God because He specializes in the ability to take broken things and heal them. He binds the brokenhearted. He heals hearts. He heals wounds. It's what makes Him unique and loving and kind. His ability to heal and fix broken things is a powerful thing. And that's what Jacob experienced with his brother Esau. He came back, and Esau didn't want to kill him the second time he saw him. Uh, think about Paul and John Mark on missionary journeys. Paul basically fired John Mark from coming with him. But if you study the last epistles Paul wrote, he said, bring Mark back to me. He's useful. Or even at the Christmas story, Mary is pregnant and Joseph is minded to put her away, and it literally took dreams and angels to visit him 
so that he wouldn't do that. Somehow that relationship that could have been fractured and broken got restored. It got healed. And this is what God is able to do. He's able to fix and heal broken relationships. Now, in the same way that there's a number of reasons why there could be disappointment, God has a number of ways that he can bring healing into people. And what I love about Scripture, man, it's right here outlined. I, I was just reading through this, meditating on it. Joseph, it says, had wisdom and favor. You know, one of the ways that God brings healing into someone's life is when they have wisdom. And that wisdom, the ability to maybe communicate and talk things through and handle pressure is going to bring you into favor with somebody that you might have had a problem with. Joseph had wisdom and favor. He didn't just have the ability to interpret dreams. He could communicate to the Pharaoh what they meant. I found that if you can communicate and use wisdom and know how to work with people, that can bring healing in relationships. Wisdom has a way of bringing healing. You know, one of the interesting ways that families get put back together or God fixes and heals things, believe it or not, is through a crisis. Here we've got a famine in the land. I find that so interesting. It's a crisis, and yet God is using it to bring all things back together again. And as a pastor, I have been in hospital rooms with people who haven't talked to each other in years, and when the crisis happens, it's like people start talking. They start getting healing. They, they start loving on each other. I mean, it, it's really an incredible thing when there's an emergency, when there's an accident. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to let a good crisis go to waste because I've seen it take place. I remember when my sister, uh, Amanda, was like uh, at about 18. And, you know, in that time, you know, she was kind of like, you know, running with her friends. And you're 18, you're just doing your own thing. And, and that was the day my dad died. We couldn't track her down. She was the last one to come down to the hospital. And I'm older, so I just berated her, let her have it. And, you know, she was broken. But I do remember that after that crisis, our relationship started getting much better. It was a crisis that brought a family together. That happens sometimes. Uh, what I find interesting is it says when the famine took place, it says Jacob heard, and the first people he sent were his brothers. He sent Joseph's brothers, his sons, that had tried to sell Joseph. He sent the patriarchs, the fathers first. What this tells me is that in order for there to be healing in your home, it's going to take some responsibility. Someone's going to have to take ownership. The leaders of that family, the, the sons of Jacob, they went down to Egypt to buy grain. And th this is what happens with people when there's a problem. It, leaders and people who take ownership, people who are you know, willing to try to make something happen, will, willing to try to work on it, willing to resolve it, that's what it takes to heal fractures in relationships. And you know, Joseph, you know, he, he wasn't quite sure what to make in the story. He, you know, he went on to keep Benjamin with him and and it took Judah, the brother, to come and say, I am surety for my son, Don't, or for, for Benjamin. Don't put him in jail. You can put me in jail. He took ownership, and that's when, Jacob, or that's when Joseph broke down crying. And what that is is ownership. Now, ownership is as simple as saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And if you can ever communicate that, if you can find a way to own up to some flaws, failures, pain, Man, you can heal a broken relationship. What I find just incredible in the story of the Bible here is that there's a bigger picture at play in Joseph's life. 
You know, Joseph has more parallels with the life of Christ than any other character in the Bible. I, I think there's like 40 or 50 or 60 of them. But it's amazing the striking similarities. For instance, both Joseph and Jesus were rejected by their brothers. Both Joseph and Jesus were sold for silver. Both Joseph and Jesus had robes that were taken from them. They were falsely accused. They were put in prison. Yeah, but both of them were also exalted. Joseph became the prince of Egypt. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And in the same way that Joseph's brothers bowed before him, one day every tongue is going to confess and every knee is going to bow before Jesus. It's so interesting. It says the second time that he was made known to his brothers. The second time. You know, Jesus came the first time and was rejected by his family, the Jewish people. But he's coming again, and the book of Zechariah says there's going to be a fountain that opens up, and, and those families are going to get put back together again. You realize that God's redemptive plan is he can take the broken relationship Jesus had with the Jewish people, and he's going to reveal himself as the Messiah, and, and they're going to accept the brother that was rejected. And God's ultimate plan is to bring reconciliation and redemption in his family that took place. So don't Tell me about some of the petty problems you might have had in your family. You don't have 2,000, 4,000 years of human history of people fighting each other trying to kill people. I mean, here we've got Jesus who's going to come back in a prophetic picture and reveal himself to his brothers. Man, I am grateful that God is able to unscramble scrambled eggs. I mean, he can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He can heal relationships. And I thank God that he is doing that because if he hadn't had... If I hadn't had his help in my life, I, I would have lost those relationships a long time ago. Man, I thank God that he's able to bring healing in homes. That's what he does. That's who he is. And if you just get him involved and, and you just communicate and, and forgive, man, you can see what he can do. Now, now, number three here. I'm just teaching you how you can be content with your family. Look at verse 14. It says then, that Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him. And then it lists 75 people. Man, I, I just think the details of the Bible are very interesting. And what this verse speaks about to me uh, has to do with the intimacy of a family. Because my third thing I want to tell you, if you want to, if you want to find contentment in your clan, is that ain't nobody know you like your family knows you. Nobody knows you quite like your family knows you. I think Joseph never really did forget who all was in the household. I mean, he remembered, and he wanted them to be with him, even though he'd been in prison 13 years and 14 years of being with the Pharaoh. And so we've got 20-some-odd years, and yet he's longing for him. And this, in my opinion, is by design, because God intended that families be together. You're hardwired that way. It's the way he made you. And it's interesting when the psalmist said in Psalm 128 that a mother is at the very heart of the house, there's something about a mom and the way she brings family together and creates that, that intimacy in a home. She's at the center of a home. Man, God hardwired families to be this way. You know, um, my grandma, who's 90, I think going to be 98 this year, she gets real nostalgic for her family. She had seven brothers and sisters. And so she always, in her heart, wants to have big old family reunions. And she wants to know who went which way and this cousin and how they're related. And you know me, not so much. I remember I had to go to some reunions and meet cousins from California and family. New York City, I had never met, didn't know anything about them. 
They thought they were strange. You know, you've been to family reunions, right? I mean, is it just me or? <laughs> One time, my cousins came up from California, and they thought we lived in the middle of nowhere. They were terrified, aghast. You could drive down Billings and find fields in the middle of it. I mean, they thought we were living out you know, in the middle of nowhere over here. Yeah. You know, it, he never forgot who was in his household. 75 people. Every member of your family matters. Listen, God values people. He values that one person. Joseph, he was able to remember who all was there. And in order for you to have that intimate relationship with your family, even the ones that are trying to kill you, uh, there's a few things you got to keep in mind and keep in place. One thing that you want to have if you want to have... you know, this contentment and, and, and a tight-knit group, is you're going to have to have proximity. Uh, it means there's some closeness. Day-to-day, week-to-week relationships, that's what Joseph never had that he longed for. But there's something about being together consistently that establishes a bond. Have you noticed that? You hang out with people consistently, and they can affect you. They can rub off on you. You develop that relationship. And, and, and that's how families work. Families work well with with vulnerability and transparency. It takes vulnerability. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the patriarchs, these 12 sons, had to tell Jacob that they sold Joseph into slavery. I mean, how did that go over? I'm sure they said, but dad, it's okay. It was by the hand of God, right? I mean, they got out of that one pretty easy. God made us do it. <laughs> uh, when you have vulnerability, when there's honesty, when there's some truthfulness, that's how you can establish a relationship. You're going to have to be honest. You're going to have to be open. And I, I know that for me in my life, I was able to develop trust with my parents even in my 20s because I was vulnerable about some things I had done in my past. And when they were gracious and loved on me, it was like, Man, trust was established. If you want to have close-knit relationships, somebody's going to have to be honest. Someone's going to have to be vulnerable and transparent. It has to take place. Uh, that means that you can love people in spite of their flaws. And listen, nobody's perfect. Everybody has flaws. you got strengths and weaknesses. It's just part of life. But you can still love people in spite of that. I do remember... In my younger years, when you know, I would get in a lot of arguments and fights with my mom, my dad, my sisters, and my sisters would tell me all the time, man, you, you have, you're always like taking the oxygen out of the room. You got such a big mouth. My mom would warn me. She would say, you got a big mouth. It's going to get you in trouble. And I, I thought she was crazy. But you know, in my 40s, I can realize that some of the stuff they said, there might have been some you know, truth to that. I can take some response. It's funny, the older you get, the more you're able to accept your own flaws and weaknesses and be comfortable with that. It's like you just know, okay, I can get better at this. I can grow at this. And, and if you can love people in spite of the weaknesses that you see in them, you can build relationship with them. And I think having you know, healthy emotional boundaries, that's, that's a real big thing in society today. You have to have the ability to say, I am not responsible for the response or the reaction of another person. If they're going to flip out, scream, and do crazy things, I can separate myself and step back, and I don't have to get all caught up in that. But because of society today, we got people who have very little coping skills, and they get sucked into so much drama, and they can't handle emotional pressure. And so you've got all these 
frustrations and problems running wild. If you can have healthy emotional boundaries, you can make sure that you can have good, solid, lasting relationships. I am thankful for the family that I have that knows me really well. I'm grateful that they can see flaws in me, talk to me about it, because it helps me make good decisions. It's a place of safety in my life. And it provides me with accountability when I'm struggling, when I'm frustrated, when I don't know what to do. Having close-knit people around you to help you is a strength. Man, 75 people. He knew exactly who was in his home. He wanted them to be there with him. Every member of a family is valuable. Nobody knows you like your family knows you. Let me give you number four right here. Look at verse number 15. It says that Jacob went down to Egypt. And it says he died and our fathers died. They were there for many, many years when that happened. And it says they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the sum of money from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem. Do you realize that God had given Israel a promise? In, in, he'd given Jacob uh, and Abraham a promise to give them the promised land. But the only thing they had at this time was a grave. They just had one little plot of ground that they'd purchased. And that's a whole different message. It tells us a lot about what God is able to do. But when I read these verses, what I'm reminded of is this fourth thing I want to highlight, which is that you can leave a legacy. You want to find contentment in a family, in a home? Remember that you can leave a legacy. A legacy is something that is handed down, something that's passed on from one generation to another generation. And this is exactly what's taking place in the story. You know, you've got the patriarchs, and then you've got, you know, these are the men that promises were made to, Abraham, Isaac. Jacob, they had 12 sons. And and if you study scripture, what you're going to see is this pattern that takes place. Whether it's with, you know, Moses uh, handing down a legacy to Joshua to lead the nation of Israel. Or you can see the legacy taking place between Timothy and Paul. Paul handed a legacy down to him. Or Elijah and Elisha the prophet, a spiritual son of his, where it was passed on down. See, uh, the kingdom of God is like a chain or like a relay race. And what we're doing is we're trying to install values and pass things on down to the next generation. And that's exactly what we're trying to create in the culture of our church on Wednesday nights, starting here in January. Legacy. We want to be able to pass on down certain things. You know, I I was praying about this. I get excited because I was thinking back about things God put put in my heart. And I've shared this before, but man, it just is so real to me. When I was, you know, about 20, I had a dream that I was pastoring old people when I was a young man, but as I grew older, I pastored young people. And I'm just telling you, I feel like that is exactly what's taking place in my life. I look forward to it. I see it. I I sense in all my heart that we're going to have the opportunity to impact and minister to young people on a tremendous level, because that is the future. And if you, if you want to make an impact in the world, you've got to grab them while they're young. And that's what God is working, and that's what he's doing, and that's what's getting me excited. Yeah, a legacy. The patriarchs passed on down a legacy. Their values, their vision, the blessing of God. And this is the way that it's passed on down. That legacy is passed on down through your character, and God uses your consistency, and he uses your connections to transfer kingdom values to the next generation. Now, it's done through the apparatus of relationship. 
Man, relationships are such powerful things. And when you have a relationship with somebody, it gives you that avenue to pass the baton. Relationships. Uh, I call it relational discipleship. It's a mentoring relationship. And when you have that, you can speak into the life of somebody else. That relationship that you have with someone who maybe is a spiritual son, a spiritual daughter, someone you're mentoring, I mean, that is a powerful thing. And I watch this, you know, sometimes with parents. I've been talking to you about how when I was a younger man, I used to fight with mom and dad. I used to get in arguments with my sisters. And, and I, what, I, what I have learned is that parents need to have, you know, boundaries and, you know, rules when their kids are little and disciplined. But as children age, you got to emphasize the relationship in the place of rules. Because that's what they're craving. They're craving a relationship. And I see a lot of people sometimes miss it because they're so focused on getting the right results and unrealistic expectations rather than understanding the relationship is a driving force in helping a person grow. Because here's a second way that, that a legacy, a baton is passed on down. It's through correction. And you don't get to correct people unless you've got the relationship set up in the first place. When that relationship is there, that gives you the chance to reach out and say, no, don't do that, or warn them. And this is why today in America, we've got a generation of people who are lashing out because they didn't have any correction, didn't have any spiritual fathers, and so they're willing to embrace things like socialism and all kinds of craziness because they are not grateful and angry in society. It's a lack of relationship with father figures and a lack of correction. Yeah. I got the place quiet. You're all listening to me. <laughs> The baton is passed through impartation. Uh, that means it's done over time when you're near somebody. I do remember watching mom and dad have devotions. I'd get up get to go to school, and I remember getting early for basketball practice, and my dad would be wearing purple sweatpants, and his hair would be sticking up like Kramer on Seinfeld, and he would be studying his Bible. And I just remember seeing that. I remember my mom just sitting behind her, her, the couch, she had a little desk, and she would study the scriptures. And just seeing that, it, it's like the value got into me. I, I could see it. That's going to require patience, and it means that your best time has to go to your best people in order to get that impartation passed down. Man, I want to leave a legacy. I'm grateful for the legacy that was left to me. I want to leave a legacy. Have you ever heard of Bill Bright? He's the founder of Campus Crusade. Now, Bill Bright, he was doing some missionary work, in the, in the Philippines. And he found one couple at a church that he mentored for a year. That couple went to Thailand and that couple got 700 people saved in the church they set up. And those 700 people won 90,000 people to the Lord. You can go to Thailand, you can find millions of Christians today that will go back to one man, Bill Bright, who invested in somebody and left a legacy. Listen, you can leave a legacy. I'm telling you, if you just know how to find contentment in your family, in your relationships, invest in those people, you can find contentment in your 2004. And that's why I drove from Dallas all the way up to St. Louis that one snowy Christmas back in 2004, because I love my family. I wanted to be with them. But probably this morning, it's not a stretch to say that your family might have been a source of disappointment. In fact, it might be the greatest source of disappointment in your life. There might be some real pains. There might be some frustrations. You might be dealing with it now. 
bitter, broken, frustrated, can't communicate. But I thank God that we serve a God who's able to heal broken relationships. He's able to fix them. He can take the mess. He can bring it back together again. He might use a crisis. He might use someone to just own up and take responsibility. He has many different ways of bringing people together. But, man, there's a lot of disappointment when you talk about family. But there's a lot of love and joy and healing when you get to know the Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you sense that pain that's there. How many of y'all want to leave a legacy? I want to leave a legacy in my life. Man, I, I, I was praying about this. And, and I don't know, I, I, I guess I get like grandma, I get nostalgic. I start thinking about, you know, family members, people. I think years bygone in church about people that, that I remembered and something in my heart starts moving for them. And I want to just pray for you to leave a legacy. Can we do that? Every head bowed, Father, I just thank you for this group of people that are growing in their relationship with God. I pray, Lord, you give them the tools, the witness, the focus, the direction, the relational ability. God, stir them up. God, grow them. Give them the ability to love on their family in Jesus' name. Now, Paul, I told you I was praying for your family. I was praying for you. I feel like the Lord uh, put this on my heart that, in, that he, he's heard the prayers that you've prayed over your grandchildren. Hmm. And in the same way when you left everything behind you and lived in faith, that same faith you're applying for your family, God's going to reward that, I feel it. He's got great things ahead for those kids, that legacy you're leaving. I'm proud of you. It's not going to be lost. It's not going to be left by the wayside. It's going to grow. It's going to flourish. In the name of Jesus, I just felt it in your home. Hmm. Amen. And I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God cares about your family. God cares about your children and your grandchildren, your children's children and the next generation. And man, man, it's on his heart. That's why we're kicking off Wednesday nights because we're going to reach generations of people. Man, I feel we got, we got such a ripe opportunity. Do you realize how ripe the world is? Montana, or Montana in particular is an aging state. America isn't really keeping up with the birth rate. But do you realize that the majority of the world is under 30? I mean, there's young people everywhere. That trend is continuing. And I just think that God and his province is going to save one last hurrah in the times in which we live in for the generations we got to reach. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, I was uh, a doctor, a man who was training to be a doctor. And when you're a doctor, you know, you're going through all the training. And I saw this guy, he was saying he was sitting in a, uh, one of those like stadium seatings where you watch a surgery. Have you ever seen that? You can observe and watch the surgeries. I always think about that because on the show Seinfeld, they dropped the junior men into the guy. Remember that? <laughs> so he's watching this guy and the guy had to get his leg amputated. Like they had to take the leg off. And he thought to himself, man, it's the holidays just like this. He's getting his leg lost. I mean, what a, what a sad thing. But on his, you know, post-op on the way out, a couple of days later, he was interviewing the man. And, you know, he found that it was amazing. He said the guy was in a great mood. He said, man, you just lost your leg. You're going through these trials. Like, why are you in such a good mood? He said, it's because I get to go home and be with my family. And I'm just grateful I'm alive and get to be with them. And that's when the thought hit him that the Bible says that there's life in the blood. Life is not in your flesh. If you've got blood pumping in your veins, even though you might have lost a limb, you can still live. And it's the blood of Jesus 
that has allowed us to be all members of the family of God. We, we are brought together by one blood, members of the same family. And that is where life is. It's found in his blood, in the blood of Jesus. That's what we can gather on. That's what we can celebrate. That's what makes us equal. That's what brings us together. That's what makes us members of the household of faith. It's Jesus' blood. And I don't know, maybe this morning you're not right with God. Maybe you've drifted away from him. Maybe you're not really a member of the household of faith. Maybe you've never accepted the forgiveness that's found in his blood. And I just want to give you the opportunity to be in the family of God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you can't say, I'm a member of God's family, I want to just give you the chance this morning. Great time to get right with the Lord in the holiday season where we celebrate his birth. If you put a hand up, I want to pray with you. Just thank the Lord for cleansing you with his blood, setting you free. I see that hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Hey, pray with me. Say, Father, I thank you for your blood that cleanses me, that washes me, and I'm forgiven. And I want to be in your family. I want to be a member of your household. I thank you for you, Lord. Yeah, in Jesus' name. I, I, if you prayed that prayer, you're honest in your heart, man. You're a member of the, the family of God. I look forward to meeting you. Uh, bear with me for one more story here. Uh, and I'm going to close out. So uh, I got a call from a lady this last week, and she said, um, hey, I want to get baptized. And I was like, uh, okay, like, you know, you know when? And she, she was like, well, I'm new to town, and I, I, I have an oxygen tank. I can't travel much. I just, I just need someone to baptize me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we can do that. And I thought, man, we have Wednesday night services. We could probably get the tank set up. And, you know, so she called me, I think it was Tuesday. I was like, all right, you know, I think we can get you to able to accommodate next night. And um, so she was like, thank you. I called different churches. No one was really able to accommodate. So I appreciate that. Well, we got everything all set up in here and, and we got a nice warm baptismal tank. But, you know, I left the hose in there and Daniel unplugged the hose from the sink. And when I, two hours before the baptism, that nice warm water was like half full. And uh, all the mech room was filled up with water. And I was like, oh no. So we hooked the water up again. It was quite cold. And I'm sure grateful for my friend Paul Blady back there who was inspired by the Lord to get a bunch of pots full of water and boil them in the kitchen. And we poured boiling hot water into that tank and got that lady baptized. <laughs> Did it for one person. So, hey, I had another baptism request. I'm going to baptize people after the service today as well. Nice warm tank back there. So if you have not been baptized and you want to get baptized, I got your shorts, I got your shirts, I got you towels if you need it. We want to baptize people. So a little impromptu, but we'll kick it off here in the back in a little bit. So I want to thank you all for coming out to the household of faith today, man. It's a good day to be in the house of God. Stand up with us. If you want prayer, we will pray with you this morning. We want to thank you for coming out. Invite someone out on Christmas Eve. We're going to have a great time. Amen. Amen. We love you very much. I'll do that baptism probably in about 10, 15 minutes here in the fellowship hall. Love you all very much. If you want prayer, we're open.